Welcome, Sports Card Insights from Dr. James Beckett. I've got a, a really great show for you today. One of some of these shows, I don't really care when they come out because they're episodic and they're not. There's no real uh, reason why one has before be, be before another. They don't build on each other. But when you get to the end of the month, you thought, well, there were some interesting episodes last month and the end of the year, which were basically at. And I was not expecting to wait this long to do this tribute, but as it got uh, along, I thought, you know, let me just gather my thoughts. And, and I'll explain uh, what my, my reasoning for that. But first, thanks sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Tops, Panini, and Upper Upper Deck. You know, I had the pleasure to get to know Cyberger on some level. I, I don't, you know, I, I saw him semi-regularly, you know, at, at industry events and different things, and actually baseball events as well as hobby events. He, he was, he was in the right place at the right time and, and really was an amazing guy. The, the word mensch comes to mind. You can look it up, but he, he, he personified that. He was basically my dad's age, a little slightly older than my dad. He born in 23. That's 1923. And he died in 2014. And, and again, it's not, you know, some of the people I've done tributes to are kind of like an older brother or a contemporary of mine. Well, he was uh, a very respected leader in the industry. We, we, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for, for some of the size contributions. So he was a, you know, very persuasive. You know, I could see how when um, he would go up to a young player and talk him into uh, signing the tops contract for probably a small amount of money, or maybe some kind of a they could they could look in the prize catalog or something. So it wasn't even always cash, but he just was so I don't know even know what the word is, but he was hard to turn down. If he asked you for a favor, he did favors, and, and I'm not saying he expected. It's just it's just he was just so engaging a positive, uh, good guy to be around. And you could see how he would uh, he would come through for his friends, that's for sure. So the reason this is episode 261 is that that's Willie Mays' 52 tops card number. You know, in the semi-high semi series, it's still a tough card. You know, you would think, well, why didn't you wait for episode 311 so you could do it? Because Mickey Mantle is synonymous with 52 tops. And 52 tops is Cy Berger's crowning achievement, I think. And when uh, tops did their all-time fan favorite, they portrayed Cy in a 52 Tops format. Just like I got portrayed in a 56 Tops format, because that was my first set that I that I went after. But uh, Mickey Mantle was not Cy's favorite player. And again, there was a little bit of a rivalry, obviously, from you know the Yankees and the Giants when when Mantle and Mays came up at the same time. But Willie Mays, I think, was was Cy's guy. And Willie was in, I think in his mind, somewhat underappreciated, but certainly not by Cy. And so Cy went to bat for Willie and vice versa. And uh, so this episode is is titled, well, is is, is episode 261 in keeping with that uh, friendship. But it, it's hard not to be Cy's friend because he just was always, you know, had a smile and was always doing positive stuff. I used to send him when I was uh, way more active, obviously, and doing every time I'd crank out another baseball price guide book, I'd send him a copy and, and uh, you know, a little, I don't know that I'd inscribe it to him necessarily, but I'd, I'd do something. I'd just send it to him and say, hey, thanks for your contributions. And he wouldn't contribute to the price guide, but we wouldn't be there if it weren't for him. So, and then I'd always get this old fashioned dictated typewritten note from Cy typed out by his uh, secretary. And then, but he'd sign it. And uh, I still have some of those letters. I don't know. I don't, you know, what, what do you, what do you do with them other than cherish them? So he, he was, uh, he was always thanking me for my thoughtfulness. And in reality, like I said, if, if he hadn't uh, done what he, what he did, uh, I wouldn't have anything to, to, uh, to, to write about anyway. So 
I'd see him at the baseball annual meetings. I didn't go every year, but I went sometimes when it was uh, closer by, certainly the one in Dallas. And then there were others that were, that I went to and, and just walking around with Cy a, a couple of times, you could just see the Red Sea part. You know, everybody knew him. Everybody greeted him. And if I said, Hey, I'm, I'm wondering about this. Well, I'll take you right to him. And he'd, he'd uh, introduce me to somebody. And, um, again, those were in the days when the hobby was, well, I mean, just things were, Things were growing, and, and sports card collecting and baseball card collecting was a big deal for him. The tops, the tops coffee table books, of which I have a, a couple of copies of, were done by done by and through his daughter Maxine, and they're they are wonderful. Back when that came out was when I don't know if that was a, kind of the junk wax era, but that those were books you could put on the coffee table, and people could just open them up and see, you know, essentially the fronts of all the tops cards, uh, at least of the first edition. Then they did football, and they did some other classic cards, but. Those were works of art in a, in a sense that collectors could really appreciate and be proud of. And again, I don't know how much that was his idea and how much it was his daughter's idea. But on the other hand, <laughs> you know, he, he, he made it happen. Woody Gelman was kind of his, the, the, the graphics guy, the creative director who did all the art stuff, I think, art direction for those early sets without any computers. And I didn't know Woody. I, I didn't know his son, Richard. But again, that's, he, he deserves credit as well. Okay. Where are the 52 tops high numbers? Just to talk about those. That's, uh, you know, kind of the, the amazing thing. I think tops would, would be an amazing story regardless, but the 52 tops high numbers have to just take on a mythic status. And over the years, especially in the seventies, when I was an aggressive collector and trying to buy cards and collections, you know, I found 52 tops high numbers, which were instant home runs when you found them they were just they, there was there were so many collectors that tried to complete a 52 top set and they needed and you you could you could sell them all day long but they were hard to find but i found them in canada I actually bought a, a stash along with another guy up in the, in the 70s F- found him in kansas which roger newfelt can verify found him in peoria illinois where i bought with uh, an, another guy and then in hawaii <laughs> they were actually in hawaii much to kit young's chagrin i've told you know, he got there and i i hadn't cleaned out the island but but i got a nice collection i remember on the phone and this was in the 70s so i mean i'm probably mid 70s so i remember putting an ad in the paper and and then this guy called up and he said i've got some he lived halfway across the island and i said well what what do you have he starts naming off some names there's guys in the 50s and i said well what's what what year are they well that's a complicated question you can say well, we'll just look on the back but you know most of those early tops and bowman cards didn't have lifetime statistics they had last year and so it was and so you could ask him what team was on. And then, since I'm a numbers guy, so what, what, just, you know, tell me some of the names and then I'm going to ask you to flip it over and tell me what the card number is. He got to Eddie Matthews and I said, well, what, what's the card number? And he went 407. And I went, I'll be right there <laughs> for the inside joke. Okay. Cause that's the last card in the set and a tough card anyway. And I, I actually do have that card. It's at the bank, but that's, that's a, a card where I actually do very well remember the story. I, Never had a chance to bring this up with Cy, but I don't, I, I question, and this is kind of sacrilegious. I question that the, the 52 tops were dumped in the East River. I think it's a great story. And I think it's apocryphal. I, I guess I'll never know, but I don't know that there's any receipt for destruction, but I don't know that that's what people would have done at that time to dump them in the ocean or in the, in the river or the lake. And it's kind of pollution. So, but what I do agree with is that those cards were not remaindered. And so if there were extra, like, because later years of tops, when they had cards in the last series, they couldn't sell them. Sometimes they'd find their way into other remaindered situations. They weren't destroyed, uh, but they were quietly sold. And if, if the tops cards, wherever they went of those 52 high numbers, if they, if they, if they had printed just as many as these other sets 
and then released them into the hobby, we, we'd have a completely different situation because the mantle already, those of you who follow closely know it, it's a double print. You know, it's, it, and, and Jackie Robinson, you know, card, what is that, 313 or 312? I mean, he's, he's also a double print. So those iconic cards are the easiest cards in the extremely tough, toughest series. So that series wouldn't have been as tough if they would have uh, preserved them. But Cy, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just, again, I just think it's, I think he was a great storyteller and I, I, it, whether it's hyperbole, but regardless, he understood that there needed to be a mystique of the cards in the collecting. In other words, what he realized as a classical, brilliant marketer is that there has to be a mystique. There has to be a mystique. If, if, if baseball cards got too commoditized, that it, we wouldn't be here today. So the fact that he had a story and he was an amazing storyteller. So I'm just saying maybe that story is exaggerated a little bit. Another one of size claims to fame, which has, I haven't seen this written up, but before he came along, the identification, the more prominent identification of the team that the player was playing on, other than his uniform and his name, there, there, there wasn't as much emphasis on using the team logo as part of the art composition of the card. And you look at the 52 tops set and one of the other, you know, aside from the team logos, you've also got this little, ast- you know, asterisk or starred box where you get a facsimile autograph, which again is not, uh, I think was, I don't remember that happening uh, before. And I didn't like, I don't like facsimile autographs because I, I used to get my cards autographed. And then you got an autograph right next to the facsimile autograph, which sometimes it looked very, very similar. Sometimes it didn't. Again, the irony of, of, of Cy Berger popularizing the team logos is the fact that Tops, you know, was especially in, in, in those early years of, of uh, our company was noted to be way more player friendly. They weren't, they were, they were, well, well, just they were player friendly in the sense that they they made their agreements with the players. Uh, maybe that's a better way to say it. That it wasn't so much MLB PA as it was Ty uh, Cy had personal relationship with a lot of the players, and he just would cajole them to say, "Hey, uh, I need you to sign this, and you're, you'll get something for it." But more importantly, you're going to be on a tops card, and he was able to sell that. And the the team they played on wasn't as big a deal. But it was it was a big deal, and to give that more prominence was was good. And it, you know, you look at the the growth of baseball over his over his lifetime was was amazing. Okay, so lastly, in two thousand four, which would be ten years approximately before he passed away, and actually I had one, and he he has a tops a two thousand four tops all time fan favorite card, and I just want to say it's proudly display, displayed on my wall of fame along with other luminaries. And I wouldn't even have a wall if it weren't for size. So I don't know that I get it. Mostly when I show people that, they they gravitate. You know, it starts at A and it works its way through Z. And then I ran out of space. And so I started over with A to Z again. And so people... So not everybody recognizes him. The older people that have collected for a really long time would recognize it. But again, it's the card I have there is not uh, super valuable. You know, that's the beauty of this uh, wall that I have is that some of the cards are more valuable and some of them are not very valuable at all. But it's slabbed. It's presented with the, with the honor. And every card on my wall, as, as you would expect, is an opportunity for me to, to uh, share a story. And when, uh, if somebody gravitates toward the Cy Burger, I can have a warm smile and, and uh, realize that Cy was uh, somebody who kind of put the other person first and tried to make sure you were taken care of. And then because of that, you wanted to help him. 
but like I said, he was one of the fathers of our hobby. So thanks for uh, allowing me to share that. Great memories of, of a great man. And, uh, you know, these, these tributes are bittersweet. I, I, I don't, uh, know what the choice is other than it's, it's better to do them than to not do them. So there's a little bit of a melancholy. On the other hand, uh, when somebody leaves behind great memories and great relationships, that's, that's a good thing too. So thanks everybody. Be back again tomorrow with another episode.